writer Roderick Finlayson was right in the thick of it during a formative time in New Zealand's literary history. He was a friend and contemporary of other significant writers, including James K. Baxter, Frank Sigerson and Darcy Creswell. Roderick's not as well known now, despite being in many ways ahead of his time. He wrote about race relations and environmental issues in his essays, articles, stories and letters as early as the late 1930s. Duncan Smith reads from Tiki Tiki, one of the short stories included in Roderick Finlayson's first collection, Brown Man's Burden, published in 1938. You could scoop up handfuls of big fat pippies in that lagoon at Wahi, sifting the sandy mud through your fingers and filling a big flax kit in no time. So the three men got enough kitfuls long before Hira came back. Kay kept looking restlessly over the river, as if he was worried by the delay. But Luke went out to the edge of the reef on the ocean beach to get mussels for bait from among the kelp there. Then Tiki Tiki gave Kay no peace till he joined in a game of throwing big empty pippy shells into the air so that they caught the wind and soared up like little white birds. Kay flung them half-heartedly so Tiki Tiki's always went farther and faster. Tiki Tiki kissed the smooth white shells before he flicked them into the air and clapped his hands and laughed to see them soar so high in the wind. In recent years, publisher and writer Roger Hicken has championed Roderick's work. Roger first released a selection of published and unpublished Finlayson writing in 2020 and has now published a biography called Roderick Finlayson, A Man from Another World. I first came across him, I think it, must, it was either 1972 or early 1973, uh, around the time that his first collection, or an extended version of his first collection of stories, was republished. And uh, one of those stories, uh, Tiki Tiki, was read on the radio, uh, and uh, it made a huge impression on me. You know, I've, I've always loved his writing ever since, and being a uh, uh, sort of sometime writer myself, or sometime poet, I suppose, and translator, and also a publisher, I uh, thought... I could do something about because I think you know Finlayson has been somewhat neglected uh, you know, since his last collection came out in around 1990. I thought uh, a couple of years ago that I was in a position to do something about bringing him back into the limelight a bit. So, uh, and then I had the bright idea. After that, I had the bright idea of uh, writing his biography because I could see that nobody else was going to. And, you know, I mean, he didn't have a hugely exciting life, but it was a very interesting life, nevertheless. You describe him as a pioneering New Zealand writer. We're talking about emerging in the 1930s, and there was a lot going to be happening over the next few decades with New Zealand literature. He was friends with some of the great names of the time. But what about his own contribution, do you think, to our literary well, he, history? Yeah, he was he was a contemporary of Sargs, and they were very good friends. And, in fact... Um, uh, Sargeson thought very highly of, of Finlayson's writing to the extent that he once said that uh, uh, I cross my heart when I say there are stories of yours which uh, there are pages which I would rather have written than anything I have written. Uh, yeah, Finlayson's place, he was the first to write with any degree of sympathy or understanding uh, about Maori. Prior to Finlayson, uh, Māori had only appeared in New Zealand fiction as secondary characters. 
and more often than not, they were stereo, you know, noble or conic stereotypes. Ferguson was the first to write a Maori's see in their way of life qualities that Pākehā might well emulate. His friend Bruce Beaver, the Australian poet, called him a maker of stories about men and women in unremarkable, comical, tragical situations. Uh, who once lived with a Maori people as an adopted son and now chronicles the comedy to men and that of the Pākehā nervous usurper. So uh, he didn't just write about Maori, uh, but his first uh, collection was largely based on his or his experiences as a young as a boy and a, an adolescent and a young man uh, living uh, with a Maori family in the Bay of Plenty at Pukahina. Indeed, an early love of his was Māori, but he realised yeah. that for them to marry would be impossible at that time. Yes, for, for, for whatever reason. We don't really know whether it was pressure from his mother, who was, was fairly influential over him at that time, whether it was uh, to do with his uncertainty about whether he could l- live in a mixed marriage in Auckland at that point, um, which you know was fairly unusual at the time, whether it was uh, something to do with uh, the situation at Pukahina, which meant that uh, they could they couldn't be together. We just don't know. But but it was a relationship that you know haunted him for the rest of his life. I think. We'll come back to the fact that we're now looking at his writing through the 2022 gaze. But at the time when he was writing. What strikes you about the stories that he told and his awareness of racism, because he was acutely aware of it? Yeah, he was, he was try, he'd been trying to find a way to, to write. He'd been writing satires and various uh, journalistic pieces, but he was wanting to write fiction and he hadn't found a, a, a medium that, that suited him. And then one, one night in the uh, old Lees Institute Library in, in Ponsonby, he came across... T.H. Lawrence's translations of the Sicilian author Giovanni Verga, and um, they were written in a very spare, unsentimental style. But he said they were they were so strong and vivid in that sort of piercing simplicity that he he realised he'd found his model to write about you know about Maori rural life. I mean, his his time in in Pukahina with his Maori uh, family there had 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 such a huge influence on him that the father of the family told him, you know, that, oh, buddy, you're, you're not a Pākehā, you're a Māori, you know. And uh, he wanted to, to write about that life. And, and as far as the racism of the times goes, I mean, he experienced that directly in company with, uh, you know, with his Māori friends, especially when they went into towns like Tauranga and, uh, and so on, Whakatane. He wasn't writing about colonised Maori uh, as a as a colonial. You know, he was he was writing as someone who had experienced that colonialism at first on the other end. And uh, you know, without uh, his stories, his Maori stories of that time, we'd have a we'd have a very less complete picture of Maori rural life between the two wars. When his writing did start to get published, what was the reception? I was quite tickled by a description you have of his uh, 1938, by the time they were published, collection, Brown Man's Burden. Uh, someone told you that there were 250 copies that took 30 years to sell. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was very little interest in, in New Zealand literary fiction at the time. 
Ferguson that was just starting to publish. He'd just published his first collection. The only, really, the only other literary fiction around was, you know, it was was Robin Hyde. He, they were trailblazers. Yeah. Part of your research involved drawing from Finlayson's unpublished memoir, "Scenes yeah. from a Writer's Several Lives." Why was it unpublished? simply because he didn't manage to find a publisher for it. Uh, in spite of getting a very favourable report from uh, Auckland University Press's um, reader, AUP uh, turned it down and um, various other publishers turned it down. I think not not for lack of quality, but because it, they just didn't think it fitted the market at the time. It's, I think it's fairly uneven. It's, it's. I mean, it's full of wonderful material. Uh, bearing in mind that he wrote it when he most of it when he was in his eighties, and his memory uh, wasn't as as good, as good as it had been, so it's not totally reliable. But uh, it has provided a very useful source for the biography, and I've quoted from it quite extensively. And the other major sources uh, have been it's just exchange of letters with Frank Sargeson and some marvellous exchanges. The, unfortunately, um, there was an important correspondence with James K. Baxter, but only one letter of that, one letter of Finlayson's to Baxter survived of that correspondence. And there was also an interesting correspondence with Toss Wollaston in the late 30s and early 1940s, but only a few of Finlayson's letters of that correspondence survived. Of all his books, his stories, his novels even, what would you recommend to somebody wanting to try reading Finlayson's work for the first time? I would recommend uh, Brown Man's Burden, his first book, particularly the stories Tiki Tiki, The Wedding Gift and The Tortora Tree. Uh, the Tortora Tree is Finlayson's best-known story. It's been anthologised numerous times. Uh, in fact, most recently it was it was in an anthology of writing about trees, which was published in the UK last year. The Totara Tree, the story, is really interesting. You describe it uh, as a, a tale of Māori identity threatened by Pākehā progress. Tell yeah. us a little bit more about the story, if you would, and the characters. It's a, a tree, uh, which is the birth tree of an old uh, kuya. It's about to be cut down to make way for some uh, power lines, and uh, she uh, uh, climbs up into the tree uh, to prevent this from happening, and... Uh, the story is uh, uh, about what happens as a result. In the end, the, the tree is saved. They have to uh, divert the power lines around it because uh, she dies while she's up the tree and they bury her underneath it. It's a, a, an interesting uh, weaving together of comedy and pathos and tragedy. Having spent so much time reading his stories, reading his letters, his material, what picture have you built up of Finlayson as a man? What, what kind of guy was he? He was a very humble man, but he held quite strong opinions. And I think at times uh, these put into his fiction and, and um, you know, there was a certain didacticism that emerged from time to time. But generally he he managed to keep that sort of thing out and channeled it into uh, writing uh, journalism, particularly for the two Catholic papers because he converted to Catholicism in 1949 and wrote extensively for the tablet in New Zealandia. And uh, he held strong opinions, of course, about uh, the way Pākehā treated Māori, 
about uh, you know Springbok tours, Vietnam, and so on. Roderick Finlayson, A Man from Another World, is by Roger Hicken and published by Cold Hub Press.